Welcome to Two SoCal Gals. I'm Alicia Rodriguez. What did you do over the weekend, Josie? Champions, baby. Ah, feels good. <laughs> so this is Two SoCal Gals, and for the second straight year, the MLS Cup was hosted and won by the LA Galaxy. Uh, Grant Wall gave this victory to the Galaxy Stars and Omar Gonzalez. Who stood out to you in this match? Uh, I think it was Gonzalez. I mean, I think, uh, you know, he, he did a, what he needed to do on both ends. And certainly it was a, you know, it was a team effort. I don't think it was solely up to a single person. But as as far as I could see, I mean, I think the fact that, I think in some respects the fact that Omar won the the um, MLS Cup MVP meant he had such an outstanding game that they couldn't, possibly have given it to any of the the dps on the team means that you know it was a pretty outstanding game because i think if there's any sort of sentimental reason to give it to either uh donovan or beckham or or keen they will you know the folks in charge of, of deciding that would have would have done that so um so yeah to me it seems like uh he deserved to 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 be considered the mvp for the game and i think he had a fantastic game uh what about you you know in, in the interest of transparency, I will say that I cast my vote for David Beckham. Um, logic being, as you kind of alluded to, just it was his last match, and it's not really even a real award. It's, you know, it's a beauty pageant thing, and, you know, there's no... It doesn't matter. So I was just like, just give it to him, and I'll put it on his mantle, and it'll be a cap to his whole career thing. But... Uh, everyone I talked to, just that the sentiment was overwhelming that he had just had such a great match, and um, getting that goal just put it over the top. That all right, we're gonna give MLS MVP to a defender for the first time, and you know there was a goal, so it's okay. Um, but I just being there, I thought it was a really exciting match i don't know from a neutral perspective i know you were there last year and you had some stories about uh how that went yeah it was interesting last season and i don't know if it was different this season certainly i think maybe the rain might have played a factor in it last year but i sat in an area that where there were some neutrals and some galaxy fans and i remember the galaxy fans were just kind of like cool we won the title all right like there was no sort of you know, ex like glee and just super excitement that, you know, or, or raw emotion that you typically see when, or at least I have typically seen when, you know, somebody's team wins a title. I mean, it just sort of seemed like, cool, man, we did that. It was awesome. You know, whatever. We're, you know, where are we going to go eat afterwards kind of attitude that was, it was really surprising. So I don't know if that's sort of the, you know, maybe it was a factor of just the weather being so nasty last season that, you know, it kind of left everyone uh, unable to really express themselves or if I just sat around a real flat group of people. But I was I was really surprised about that. But I know that obviously for the, the you know, the folks who, who you know, truly are, you know, died in the wool Galaxy fans, I know you guys are, are very happy about this. Well, I'll just say I think it has more to do with the nature of the neutral site game versus now this whole seating deciding where the cup is hosted sure. you know 
the Galaxy Ticket Office had been giving away corporate tickets and pleasing sponsors uh, all of 2011. And so it wasn't a crowd made up of mostly diehards. Like, I'm going to assume that at least half the crowd were just people who were like, oh, yeah, no, soccer's kind of cool. Oh, hey, free ticket. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go to that thing. Um, whereas this year, the crowd was into it. The chanting was loud. Uh, every goal was just an explosion. And, yeah, still people just went and got in their cars and went home. There was no, you know, buses overturned <laughs> like you expect from a championship. But it was still it was a really great atmosphere, and I'm glad that MLS has made that change. You, get, you can tell, that's a really great point, but you can tell that we grew up in L.A. and Detroit respectively because we mark our championships with how many buses were turned over at the time of the championship. Interesting. I, I, just, I figured that's how you, you measure passion. Well, that's how we do it in Detroit too. So, uh, you know, obviously we're, uh, you know, we're two peas in a pod there. But um, let's talk about the team, the other team in the final, which was of course the Houston Dynamo. Uh, they started out white hot, and you know they really seemed to be progressing in the way that they had been all throughout the playoffs in the final. Um, but was there ever a point where you thought that Houston would actually be able to pull off the game and, and actually win win the cup? You know, for like the first 20 minutes, Houston was just dominating possession and were pushing the Galaxy around literally and figuratively, uh, sending in good crosses. Josh Saunders was like a, too timid to catch the ball. He kept punching it out uh, instead of securing it, which led to some restarts and rebounds that were just frightening uh, as a Galaxy fan. Uh, and then the Galaxy started to like, you know, get their rhythm back and get back in the match. And then there was the Kaelin Carr goal. And it, yes, I absolutely thought for pretty much all of halftime and the first 10 minutes, like, you know, Houston just has it today. I don't know if the Galaxy are going to be able to find a, an equalizer, let alone a goal, go-ahead goal. So... Yeah, Houston looked really good, and all credit to them for, for the way they played, and you can do all sorts of what-if scenarios about if Kalen Carr doesn't get hurt. He had a great match before a really awful injury uh, to be suffered in a, a championship, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think if anything, Houston maybe suffered a little bit from scoring that goal right before halftime. Because suppose they had scored it on the other side of halftime, if it had been two or three minutes into the second half, I think it would have been a lot harder for the Galaxy to regroup on the fly and kind of figure out what they needed to do in the second half. But the fact that Houston, and of course you can't fault the team for scoring when they score. I mean, you know, you can't say, okay, well, we're going to wait until three minutes after the half to, to score our first goal. That's not how it works. But I think that, you know, the break gave the Galaxy the the time they needed to kind of figure out what plan they needed to do to, to improve for the second half. Um, and so, you know, at the time it wasn't sort of like smarty pants saying, all right, well, you know, it might be a bad time for them to score. But I did sort of figure, you know, if if it was getting to, let's say, the 75th, you know, 70, 75th minute and the Galaxy still hadn't scored a goal or if Houston had scored another goal, then we may be talking about, you know, obviously a, a very different game and a very different outcome. But, uh, you know, as it turned out, 
the Galaxy were able to to regroup in the second half fairly quickly. And of course, the you know the car injury I think did cast a little bit of a pall over the you know the Dynamo's um, you know second 45, and, and that I, I did I do think made it made a difference. Yeah, literally like a minute, maybe even less than a minute after that injury, the Galaxy get the Omar Gonzalez goal, and you know open match from that point and the Galaxy just took advantage and Houston didn't have that speedy guy up top uh, to, to counter and, and make the Galaxy you know, pay for playing that far forward. Um, but we're going to move on because there was another final over the weekend, uh, Club Tijuana. I'm not going to even try uh, pronouncing some of their nicknames, won the Liga MX uh, Apertura in just their fifth year of existence. It made the front page in San Diego, uh, who's kind of taking some credit for the title. Uh, what did you like about this match? Well, for the match itself, uh, I thought it was great that uh, Tijuana took the, you know, they won the first game in Tijuana, and then they had to go to Toluca for the second leg, and and finish it out one way or another and they ended up pushing ahead in the second half and scoring was it three I can't remember off the top of my head I think three goals in the second half um and that's not quite what their game plan has been over you know ever since uh their coach Antonio Mohamed uh became the coach of the team it's been defense first worry about the defense and then strike on the counter strike on a set piece you know find that that single um, moment or two that's needed to just get the goal that you need and then, you know, worry about defending. And in the playoffs, they really opened it up, and I think it was a master stroke. And I think one of the things that was really interesting was in the preseason, I actually watched uh, Tijuana play uh, in uh, just outside San Diego. I watched him uh, in a scrimmage, and there was this player, Fidel Martinez. He was nicknamed the Ecuadorian Neymar, and he frankly looked a lot like him same hairstyle and everything and he looked really good in that scrimmage and I thought hey this guy's going to be a star he's going to look you know he's going to do really well he struggled a little bit in the early going um of the season and then he hardly played and people just sort of thought he was you know he had been written off by the coach I think what happened was maybe the coach was saving him for when he really needed him in the playoffs and it, it turned out that all these teams hadn't really didn't expect him to be playing and he made a huge difference in the in the last two rounds of the of the playoffs. And um, you know he's not the only player, obviously responsible for the title. But I think that decision really made a big difference. And to have a player like that sitting on the bench for most of the season and then coming in when he's needed the most uh, was pretty gutsy. But it, it it paid off. Yeah, I'm going to uh, pull a Tony Kornheiser. I know that's the character I'm playing anyway. Um, and just admit that I didn't watch this match, but I just, because it was such a big deal in San Diego, it did make the front page of the Union Tribune. Um, the television numbers were, were pretty good uh, in the Spanish-speaking community here in America. Um, clearly, this is something that is reverberating uh, across the borderlands, if you will, uh, which, you know, have, has a lot to do with the, someone like Tijuana who, you know, people in San Diego can go down and watch. And I don't know, I just think it's all kind of a cool story. I think it's a cool story, too. And I think it's interesting that the response that uh, the Union Tribune got 
for sort of claiming uh, TJ's prize as you know sort of the the region's own. Um, I think a lot of people agreed with it, but I think it's actually somewhat surprising that they put him on the front page, that they you know really embraced him. For from my perspective, I think it's great, but there was a lot of blowback, and you know I didn't get into the message board sort of you know wade into that uh, side of the internet, but even on Twitter, you know I saw a, a fair number of San Diegans sort of push back and say, you know, Tijuana is a whole different country and we are not part of them. And, you know, this is, I can't believe you're equating us together. And obviously there's uh, still a lot of unresolved um, issues, let's say, that, that um, you know, is, is something that I think the, the Borderlands region, uh, San Diego and Tijuana, you know, need to still work on in, in order to kind of come together in the coming years and decades for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so for the first time ever, uh, the previous year's uh, Champions League winner has failed to move on to the knockout stage. Uh, Chelsea won possibly the most futile 6-1 to victory ever, as the effort still landed them in the Europa League, um, but obviously they're out of the big prize. Is this a bigger story than Manchester City flopping out? I, I personally don't think it is. Um, yet usually when you see a 6-1 scoreline, you're expecting it's like a friendly or it's, you know, England playing against the Faroe Islands or something where it's just, you know, no hope. It's not Champions League. Um, but clearly the uh, group doormat in Chelsea's group was was quite the doormat. And yet, you know, they just lost uh, their head, their manager. Um, there's a lot of shakeup at Chelsea. I don't think anyone expected an instant turnaround from the new manager coming in um, and they're still in the competition yeah sure it's the first time ever that the previously the year's Champions League winner hasn't moved on but no one expected Chelsea to, to win last year uh, Manchester City were supposed to you know be on the up and up and to not even make it into Europa League to you know, actually step back from what they did last year. Uh, I think that's the bigger story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Chelsea missing out is a big story. And I, you know, to be honest, I was a little bit surprised that this was the first time this had ever happened. Um, but that said, I mean, I think, you know, this is, I don't know, this, it's just sort of the nature of knockout tournaments. And I know that they they had group stages and stuff like that, but when you have two, three tournaments going on at once, when you have, a, you know, an owner who obviously likes to change coaches, you know, every time he changes his shirt, you're, you're going to have some instability. And so I think in the, maybe the long view, it, it's a little bit of a surprise, but I don't think given the, the ways in which teams and leagues are kind of fluctuating on a year by year basis, you know, depending on who gets the funding and who, you know, has an uptake in form or who has an academy that's really coming through, I don't think it's. I, I think we're going to see this more and more uh, moving forward, where you know, champions of big countries are going to miss out, where defending champions are going to miss out at times, and you know, I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a surprise. Yeah, that is a good point. You know, City's group, every single person in the group, every single team in the group was a was a champion the year before, so obviously someone had to not make it. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be back, so please stick around. Hello, and we're back. Um, We are here with 
Devin Pluler from MLSsoccer.com. You might know him better as the central winger. Um, we're going to be talking some MLS Cup. Uh, before the match, you wrote about how important the Landon Donovan, David Beckham passing relationship uh, was going to be. Uh, did you see that playing out uh, during the Cup? Uh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, I thought Beckham and Donovan kind of, uh, you know, both kind of gravitated towards each other throughout most of the game. And if you look at, you know, the average positions of both of the players for the match, they're very close to right on top of each other, actually closer than any other Los Angeles players played next, uh, with each other. So from that regard, I thought it was pretty effective. Um, and that's just looking at the stats. Uh, I think from an aesthetic point of view, you know, being there, I, I thought they operated well together. And so that's even with Donovan starting up top next to Robbie Keane, they still ended up right next to each other uh, on the passing map? Yeah, that's, you know, kind of strange, uh, I thought. But Donovan would tend to... Um, you know, play off of Keane's shoulder, and Keane, you know, I, I think just because he was so involved in the attack and almost every single attack, his position, at least on the graphs, would kind of naturally gravitate him towards the goal. Um, so I, I, I'm less, um, you know, I, I don't subscribe very much to very you know rigid position names and stuff. Um, I, I thought Donovan played a very dynamic role, which I think was pretty integral to the whole success for Los Angeles during the game. Right, and then uh, Christian Williamson was, I remember him patrolling one of the flanks, um, but how effective were the Galaxy uh, in exploiting an area that they had had success exploiting earlier in the playoffs? Uh, during, down the right flank, the Wilhelmsen side? Um, it wasn't immediately um, you know, evident to me, um, but that is the side that Donovan tended to slide forward on um i guess by necessity you know Wilhelmsen, uh i thought did a, a decent job uh pushing back Koryash on the um i guess that's the right side of the midfield um or no he was on the yes he was on the ash side um and i thought that was pretty important because i felt houston was trying to push their outside backs up very high and he did a very decent job at you know pinning uh the outside back very high up the field well, I don't, you know, he wasn't incredibly involved. I, I thought, you know, tactically he was very important in kind of a game plan sense. Okay. And then who was kind of in charge of that opposite flank for the Galaxy? Was it Franklin getting up there? Um, well, Franklin played behind Willemsen, I thought. Um, McGee uh, played more on that left That's wing. That's right, yeah. Um, and uh, he... He played a little bit more centrally than I would have otherwise been expecting him to. Um, he played actually uh, further inside than uh, Dunavant did. Dunavant, but um, he I, he had some responsibility combining with um, Juninho, I thought, in terms of uh, getting the ball forward, holding it in a, kind of an advanced position. Um, he, he was a fascinating player to watch. He's I think he's an underrated player. All right, and then looking over at Houston. Uh, how how significant was that Kalen Carr injury? Um, yeah, I 
you know, he, I felt he was really their only dangerous threat, you know, and, you know, that's both looking kind of at from a statistical standpoint and, you know, just, uh, you know, a, uh, just looking at the game, it was, uh, Houston really lacked that bite going forward after his injury. And that's especially hard when you're trying to push and chase the game. You know, they were, they were pretty, uh, pretty weak in the attacking third afterwards. Yeah, pretty much after he got hurt, the Gonzalez goal was right after that. And, yeah, Houston never looked the same. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I thought, you know, uh, Sarkodie did a great job coming down the right flank, you know, providing, um, you know, especially in the first half, uh, providing some you know, dynamic play, able to combine with uh, Garcia. Um, but, uh, you know, I, whether it's it was an emotional kind of loss of Kellen Carr or um, really just a tactical one, I, I felt Houston really fell apart after losing him. All right. Well, thanks for uh, helping us to break down MLS Cup. No problem. Thanks for having me on, Josie. No problem. All right. Time to play What's the Word? Uh, we're going to go back to MLS Cup. Um, a lot of MLS Cup. It's the big deal this week. Uh, and we'll start off with a negative one. We already kind of hinted at it. Uh, Kalen Carr's injury was blank. I think it was sad. You know, like, one of the things that made me sad about the injury in the first place was the fact that in his goal cele- like his goal celebration was actually one of the most exciting parts of the whole game for me which I know sounds really strange, but did you see the replays where he jumped over the corner flag entirely? Yeah. I was afraid for his, you know, man junk stuff. Yeah, well, not to mention his knees and his ankles when he hit the ground, but um, who knows if he'll be able to do that properly ever again. We may have just seen that, you know, the the fleeting moment where, he, you know, that was possible. I mean, of course, he could come back and be fine, but, um, you know, I think it's sad. Obviously, it was sad for him. Also, to you know, your final game to be one where you get so close to winning the title, and then you're going to be out for a sustained period. Sad that the team didn't win. That they sort of, you know, that was kind of the turning point, uh, either because of him or just happened to be a coincidence. Who knows? But yeah, I'm going to go with sad. Yeah, I'm on the same track as you. I went with misfortunate, um, which is kind of obvious for an injury. But uh, just for everyone involved, you know, it changed the nature of the game for Houston. It uh, propelled the Galaxy, but then sort of tainted that propelling, like, oh, yeah, they scored three unanswered goals after that really good player got hurt seriously. Um, so it was it was just the, the timing of it, right, at the 60th minute, you know, the game was the turning point of the match was right there um so and you never want to see that kind of thing happen to a player especially uh, the one saving grace uh that me and a friend had like oh well at least he was a cow bear you know i can only say you know oh go bears and all that stuff um so yeah you hate to you hate to uh see that happen um especially someone who went to your alma mater yeah sure i hear you all right, uh, Omar Gonzalez going up top to equalize for the Galaxy was blank. This is all one word. 
magnaflorious. Um, just every single thing about that goal was so fantastic. And I'm not alone. You've all watched the video. MLS Soccer showed all the different angles on the goal. And it's just beautiful to watch. Gino like hops into his cross, plants his put foot perfectly, sends in this spinning ball that Omar just rises heads and shoulders above everyone, knocked it in past Tally Hall. It was just, it was great soccer. Um, and yeah, I can't even, it was just great. <laughs> what would you think? You're speechless. Um, I would say it was inevitable, and here's why. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed, it seemed like to me during the playoffs, uh, he kept pushing up, and he kept moving, like trying to get in the attack, like sort of doing a David Luiz type deal where, you know, he's he's kind of the, the center back being the guy that's unmarked or, you know, progressing the attack more than any, you know, most other center backs do, something to that effect. I get the sense that Bruce Arena must have been telling him, you know what, it's okay to push forward because, you know, we'll need you or you're not going to be taken seriously or something of the of the like. And so it, it, it sort of seemed inevitable that he was going to come up with a goal at some point. And obviously this wasn't him kind of bombing forward with the ball. It was on a set piece. But even so, it seemed like that was building up, through for me anyway, it, through the whole playoffs. And really, I would expand that back uh, to the since he returned from injury okay. you know th this was the omar gonzalez that we had seen before and he was always going up on top on set pieces was you know constantly challenging on balls and i think he got the challenging part of his game back um because he had to because he was a central defender but offense was still a choice and he still had a knee that was destroyed in the off season and so a little bit timid uh, I don't think he would disagree, and yeah, that was just him fully exposing himself um, and going up there, and you know, finally being aggressive there. So it was, it was great to see. Um, the rumors that the Galaxy are trying to trade for Chivas's Dan Kennedy are blank. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say proto catastrophic. Um, that is one word that I just made up. Um, you know, I think Kennedy is the best player on Chivas by a long shot, right? Like there's, you know, I, I think there is talent on the team. I don't think there's a ton of talent on the team, but I think there's talent on the team. Uh, but Kennedy is, is definitely the best, the best player on the team, you know, by far. I think the fact that it's the Galaxy who really want him, uh, you know, that if, if it ended up coming true i think it would sting all that much more ob you know for obvious reasons um and you know i think that the the idea that if, if chivas were willing to even entertain the offer you know i think the expectations of what they're going to get in return are not going to be commensurate in the eyes of, of fans as to what his, his true value is so basically it, it seems like if it happened it would be a real kind of fu to the to the fan base in a lot of respects yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm going to go with believable because okay. um, all the pieces are there. Uh, Bruce Arena, has a, he's not uh, sentimental when it comes to keepers. 
let's be honest, this is not someone who's going to let someone sit until they're 40 uh, and then let them retire with the club. You know, he got rid of Ricketts as soon as he wasn't useful anymore. And I think he is totally going to be ahead of the curve as far as Saunders's usability. He's not going to you know sit around and let him lose his value. Uh, not that he can get anything for him at this point because he's out of contract. But anyway, the Galaxy have young players to offer Chivas. Uh, the Galaxy have money to offer Chivas, and I think Chivas needs both of those things. You know, even with Dan Kennedy in goal, uh, you had the low-scoring, few goals given up first half of the season, and then you had the dis reign of destruction in the second half of the season. So there are more holes to deal with than than keeper, um, and Dan Kennedy is the one piece that uh, the Galaxy would really want. Yeah, I mean, obviously that makes sense on a logical, you know, a logical level, and certainly from the Galaxy's perspective, that makes a lot of sense. I think most teams in the league would would jump at the chance to have Kennedy. Um, but you know, let me just say this: if Chivas USA didn't have Kennedy in 2012, they would have been they would have finished worse than Toronto. Like he was good for a boatload of points in the season, and you know. Even if the season was as bad as it was, I mean, without him, it would have been so much worse. So, all right, uh, last one for the week. Uh, David Beckham's last match with the LA Galaxy was blank. Overhyped <laughs> is the word I'm going to go with. And all apologies to Beckham. He did a whole lot for this league. He did a whole lot for Los Angeles soccer culture. And for the Galaxy. But every player has, you know, that decision to make. To, to come back or to not come back. Not, Landon Donovan is going through it right now. What he wants to do with his future. <sighs> Yay, you're moving on. Congratulations. But just the timing of it, right before uh, single tickets went on sale, uh, the fact that it, he had to have his own separate press conference, and all these stories were written for a year, and the goodbye Beckham hashtag. They were about to play a championship for crying out loud. And the fact the Galaxy are now you know equal with DC with four championships, like... That should have been the storyline. Like, oh my god, let's celebrate a new franchise emerging to replace our old great franchise. Anyway, I don't know. I just was upset with the way the coverage of the match was handled. How about you? I'm a little bit surprised with the Beckham fatigue. I mean, I know that there's some other Galaxy folks who've, who've kind of come, come to that as well. Um, but th this strikes... Uh, as a pretty even balance, actually, with my response, which I was going to be snarky, but I ended up saying uh, it was successful, which it was. I mean, you know, not only did he help the team win two titles in the last two seasons, but obviously uh, he continues. <laughs> obviously, he continues the um, streak of uh, winning a title in the last season with every team he's played with. So, 
you know, he did it with Manchester United, he did it with Real Madrid, now he's done it with the Galaxy, so he can continue on whatever adventure he wants to do and, and try for it next time in wherever Galaxy or universe he may be in. See, my problem, like, the first time I heard that brought up, that, oh, you look at, once again, he's won in the last year of his contract with blah, blah, blah. That was the same storyline from last year. Like, we already did this. It just feels like deja vu. And at least this time, there it was, oh, Beckham is leaving, and not, oh, Beckham might leave. But that story was written last year, that, oh, he always wins in the last year of his contract, just because no one knew for sure if he'd come back or not. But, so, the, 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 mm, sorry. No, I mean, you know what, I hear you, and I, I, it's interesting to hear the, the Galaxy fans now come around to the, the fatigue that many of the rest of us have been feeling for years, and sort of like, hey, it's been fun, but thanks for the memories, and see you later kind of attitude. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting to me uh, now, and I understand your frustration, too, because obviously as somebody who's been with the team before he arrived, it's, it's probably pretty frustrating to see you know, the circus take over but um but yeah maybe maybe there'll be a new circus leader next season for you guys well it just i hope that the legacy of beckham will be that international folk still care what the galaxy do next year uh and there was a point in all of this coverage you know because i'm not a beckham hater i think what he's done is great um, but there was just a point where I was like, wow, like a quarter of these people will be here again next year for the next MLS Cup. And that just kind of made me sad. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our show. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, if you want to follow the conversation with me, I'm on Twitter at R-O-C-K-N-Josie. And Alicia, where can we find you? You can find me at Soccer Musings. All right, well, have a good weekend, everybody. Bye.